All right, we are back again. My name is Daniel McGarry. I'm the creative pastor here at Fellowship Memphis. And today I am joined by my good friend, Mark Hackett, who is the executive director of Operation Broken Silence and Engage Champion of 2022. Hey. So Mark, tell us a little bit about Operation Broken Silence. What'd, what'd you get started? Why, why'd you start it? How long you been doing it? All that jazz. Yeah, sure. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, so we started as an organization in about 2011, um, and uh, we work strictly in Sudan. And at that point, uh, for people who don't know, Sudan has been in and out of war under various regimes for decades now. And in 2011, um, shortly after South Sudan split away from Sudan, uh, there were several areas on that new on that new border that sided with the South during the war, but were left on the North side of the border. So uh, predictably those areas, uh, war broke out as soon as South Sudan pulled away. And, um, you know, a few years uh, at that point, for a few years, I've been involved in various Sudan related activities, fundraising for some humanitarian things, some advocacy in Washington. And I started meeting Sudanese who actually live here in Memphis. Um, and a lot of them are from a region of Sudan called the Nuba Mountains. And that was one of those areas that in 2011, war broke out between the regime and the people living there again. And uh, yeah, so that war started. One of the Sudanese pastors uh, said, hey, Mark, I know Sudan's really interesting to you. And I think it's time you actually go over and see, you know, firsthand what we've been dealing with. And uh, on that trip, uh, learned there really wasn't an international presence on the ground, met a lot of pastors and teachers and rebel commanders and farmers, just, you know, all kinds of people. And they all kept saying the same three things. Uh, we need someone to bring cameras so we can tell the world what's happening here. Uh, we need our stories to be used to uh, raise support for education and healthcare programs that, that we're doing ourselves. And if you ever have the chance to talk to anyone powerful in the world, here's your list of talking points. <laughs> um, and came back from that trip, started looking for an organization that was doing those things. And there was not a single one in the world. Wow. And so, so we started Operation Broken Silence built around those kind of three program buckets of storytelling, uh, education, healthcare, and grassroots advocacy. Yeah. So broken silence, meaning no one else is, is talking exactly. about this. No one is speaking yeah. for these people. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> Okay. Um, now, uh, walk us through what you can of some of the programs and services you all you all do there. Yeah. So you know, there, there's some things I can't talk about publicly because uh, you know we do work in a uh, a situation where there's active warfare and mm -hmm. outright oppression. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the people we work with, you know, we can't talk about them in, in public mm -hmm. public spaces online for for safety reasons. Uh, but I can share a few things. So kind of our, uh, our our the pride and joy of our organization, I would say, is uh, there's two schools and one of the, the refugee camps, uh, the refugee camps called Yida, uh, that we've been supporting for, gosh, eight or nine years now. Um, wow. So we kind of stumbled into four teachers in this camp who were teaching under a tree with a half broken mm. chalkboard, mm. no pencils, no paper, no textbooks, nothing. And 
with regards to the education crisis that has occurred in this region of Sudan, because a lot of the schools have been bombed or, or shut down, uh, you know, we met these really determined teachers who had no outside support and were like, this is a great place to start. <laughs> um, so yeah, so over the past few years, as we've increased fund funding to those, to those teachers, it's grown into the indoor primary and renewal secondary schools. Uh, that's, there's 24 local teachers who we employ there and they serve uh, about 900 students a year. Good night. So, um, you know, and this is kind of a really great example of how we work too, is we find Sudanese on the ground who are already mm -hmm. doing really good things, but just don't have outside support. Mm -hmm. And we go to them and say, hey, if we get you X amount of dollars, what's the next step for you look like? Yeah. And as we've worked with these teachers over the years, things have grown. You know, we're to a place where probably end of this year, there will have been about 10,000 kids who have rolled through these schools now. Gosh, um, what, was the situation, what was the situation like before? Yeah, before, you know, so, so just very locally in Yida, there are a few other primary schools, which, you know, it's mm -hmm. elementary schools here, yeah. um, where none of the teachers are getting paid, very few, you know, books and very few school supplies. Um, so, so the situation, education situation, you know, was really at a breaking point when we stepped into that situation. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, broadly speaking, education in Yida is still very fragile, but our two schools make up the backbone of the education system there. Mm -hmm. Because through those two schools, we're also able to deliver a limited amount of supplies to other schools, uh, provide some, some limited training to other teachers in the camp, and we're able to kind of uh, lift some more boats, uh, mm -hmm. in that, in that community. And I, I imagine quote unquote, um, helping schools and, and quote unquote planning schools, mm -hmm. um, somewhat might put a target on their back a little bit. Sure. Yeah. So, you know, the nice thing about the, the refugee camp is it is outside of the war zone. Mm -hmm. Um, and the regime would have to cross an international border to attack it, which they actually mm -hmm. did several years ago. Um, in the world of, international affairs, that, that's a big no-no. Right. Like you get in really big trouble for doing that. <laughs> um, and so it's it's a relatively speaking, a safer environment to work in. Uh, now, one of, the, one of the other programs I can talk about um, is there's, there's one hospital in this region of Sudan. They have about 400 beds for a population of over a million people. Um, so on top of, you know, over the years dealing with the effects of war and treating, you know, war, mm -hmm. war wounds and things like that, because there's also just a general blanket of oppression over this region of Sudan. Mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of other pre-existing health conditions, like there's very high cancer rates, um, all kinds of preventable diseases, because there's no, there's no public infrastructure. Um, and, you know, that hospital can serve over a hundred thousand people a year and it's dead center of the Nuba mountains. Mm -hmm. Um, so the hospital has been targeted by war regime warplanes several times over the years. Mm -hmm. Um, thankfully things have been quieter the past few years. There's, there's a ceasefire in this region of Sudan right now. Um, but yeah, we, we throw as much money as we can at that place. Mm -hmm. Right. Cause it's like the work that they do, the number of people they serve every year is just, um, you want to talk about like an outsized impact. Yeah. You know, they can serve up to, you know, 10, 15% of the entire population there every year. <laughs> so when you mention like there's lacking public infrastructure, how does that, how does that work out when, I mean, you can't just pour money into a place and sure. infrastructure happen. Like <laughs> yeah. how does that work out? Yeah. Um, so, so that's tough. So, so during the war, pouring money into infrastructure was a really bad idea. The Sunni's government historically has a very, um, 
we'll just say a very poor track record of treating civilians nicely. Um, so when the war started in 2011, the first targets for regime warplanes and regime ground troops weren't rebel military bases um, or anything like that. They were schools, churches, mosques, uh, the hospital. Uh, those were the first places they went after. Um, and a lot of these places are nowhere near any sort of military installation of any kind. So building a school in the Nuba Mountains, like let's say in 2014, really bad idea because <laughs> you're pretty much asking for it to get destroyed. Um, and so a lot of, I think the schools in Yida, you know, we haven't sunk a ton of money into infrastructure. Like we haven't imported like big steel beams or anything to build like a really beautiful mm-hmm. school. It's you know, the schools are made of, of mud bricks and, and straw roofing. It's pretty basic to the region. Um, and you know, the, the, I'd say the one exception is probably the hospital. It's like last year we helped fundraise for a big container shipment that included some solar panels and, and things like that. So the hospital could improve their, wow. their infrastructure. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as far as like other infrastructure, like there's no paved roads in Nuba, um, you know, during the rainy season, a lot of roads get washed out you, it's just traveling in the region is almost impossible at that point. Yeah. So, but you know, this is where our approach of working through local Sunnese is really critical and that because we don't have, I'll just be frank, there's really no white people running <laughs> running around on the ground over there. Yeah. Uh, because we work through through local leaders, they're able to get around and do things uh, quietly under the radar yeah. pr- pretty easily, uh, even in an environment that's not conducive to this type of work. Yeah, so you, you mentioned that you, you've been working um, with Operation Broken Silence since roughly 2011, you said? Yeah, yeah. So roughly 12 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, what kind of success have you seen? What kind of fruit of the gospel have you seen? Yeah, so so in the, the Nuba Mountains region is about 50-50 Christian Muslim. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's a very interesting part of Sudan. So kind of zooming out for a second, Sudan has, uh, it's a Muslim majority country, mm-hmm. uh, 600 ethnic groups, just as many languages. It is a very, very diverse place. Um, and in certain, in large parts of Sudan, being a Christian puts a target on your back. Oh. Um, and in the Nuba mountains, uh, it, you know, it's really interesting in the, in that the, the Nuba culture there, uh, because of the war and oppression, Christians and Muslims living there get along just fine mm. um, and have for a very long time. So we've seen, uh, you know, this region of Sudan can really be a model for the rest of the country as far as interreligious uh, relationships and, and things like that. Um, so there's, uh, you know, there's there's quite a few churches in the Nuba Mountains. You know, we, we talked to, to some of those and um, I think one, one of the, the you know, the the gift that Fellowship Memphis gave out of the Engage Fund is going to a water project. We're working on Nuba. It's actually in partnership with a local church uh, in the western Western Nuba region. Um, and so we're able to come alongside some some local church leaders in this region of Sudan and work with them on mostly from a humanitarian perspective. We do some other stuff with them as well that you know we don't talk about. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, there's been. Uh, you know, the a few years ago, Sudan's dictator was overthrown in a coup, and he was like the bad guy of bad guys. I mean, think worst villain in any movie you've ever seen and multiply it by 10. <laughs> uh, 
Um, and when he fell, even though there's still a military regime in place, uh, Sudan as a whole, it's a lot easier to be a Christian than it used to be. Oh. Still not great, mm -hmm. but it's it, it has improved some. And so you know, these past few years, we've watched churches all across Sudan that have been underground for decades kind of bubble up to the surface. And we're starting to see like, um, you know, maybe the Christian population in Sudan is actually much, much larger than, than anyone has expected. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> so um, question I had for you was, um, well, maybe not a question. I, I wanted to kind of highlight as, as well, like the, what you mentioned about the Engage Fund and um, the gift that we've given. So um, for those who don't know, basically from uh, November of 2022 until the end of the year of December 2022, we set aside 10% of all giving that came into the church to essentially uh, do what we're talking about and, and give uh, money, um, kind of provide that shot in the arm, that kickstart to some of the ministry areas that folks in our body are already serving. Not from a let's pat ourselves on the back kind of thing, but in the same vein of what you're talking about of um, you work with lots of Sudanese on the ground and magnify what they're doing. And that's what we're trying to do is with the, the money that we can give away to some of these nonprofits and ministries, it, we can magnify what they are already doing. So from your perspective, um, being an engaged champion, which means um, you're saying that I, I will um, help kind of carry through some of the work of, of um, Fellowship Memphis. And uh, what, what do you see the future for Operation Broken Silence and, and maybe specifically what, what, uh, what plans you might have for with some of the money? Yeah, I mean, kind of big, big picture future. Uh, I'll be honest, a lot is up in the air right now. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we, we came into existence because there was and still is to a certain degree a regime in Sudan that is, um, you know, two civil wars, four genocides, every human rights abuse under the sun. Um, and as that regime has started to be uprooted, um, which has always been the dream, you know, yeah. that's one of the, the big reasons we exist is to help, help the Sudanese people get the future that they want. Um, it's also raised a lot of other questions about like kind of how do we continue that as hopefully the regime keeps receding into the background. And so, you know, there's uh, in the past few years, we've seen opportunities to spread into other parts of Sudan, um, you know, that have been difficult to do because we still think it's a little too early. Um, you know, the, the the Sudanese regime has monitored our, our website and social media for years. So if we get plugged in somewhere and yeah. you know you know that can lead to some really nasty things happening on the ground to uh, some people that are doing good work um and then also there's new funding that's needed for for those types of things um and i think to you know a lot of our support to the sunnis over the years has been mostly financial uh you know, we provide some training and, and some other things as well as as it's been requested but but one of the the things as as the weight of oppression has started to be lifted in real ways across Sudan as the Sudanese are starting to ask some really deep questions about what kind of government should we have? What, how, how do we in different, different faith contexts talk to each other? Uh, what does it even mean to be Sudanese? Sudan in a lot of ways is a result of colonialism. Um, you know, it's a country like several around the world that probably wouldn't exist today um, if Britain hadn't, hadn't colonized that area. Um, 
And we have found, you know, we've, we've been brought into some of those discussions about like, how do we as a people, uh, as a, <laughs> one of the most diverse places in the world, move this thing forward. And a lot of those questions don't have easy or obvious answers. Um, so, so some of our support has shifted into to providing advice and finding, you know, resources from other countries and passing those longs and, and things like that. Uh, I think, you know, the, the third area of, of kind of where, where we, we want to move forward, um, is to really hone down on the, just the basics of what we've always done well. And that's funding local leaders on the ground, uh, finding, finding more of them, uh, supporting the ones we already support in bigger and better ways. Um, I think a lot of the, the international conversation around Sudan has been changing the situation with the government and improving things from the top down. And after 12 years of working in Sudan, I'm more convinced than ever that real change is going to happen from, from the bottom up, which takes longer, takes more resources, takes more time. Yeah. But as far as a sustainable solution to to some of the challenges in Sudan, I don't see another way to do it. Yeah, and I'm, I'm reminded like, uh, well, talk about how, what, what kind of dedication does it take to remain um, resolved on a singular area, a singular people for 12 straight years? Yeah. <laughs> Um, you know, in, in, in one regard, it's, you know, once, once you've been there on the ground and you've seen and you smelled and you've, you know, you've been a part of the culture, um, you've experienced the war, like having a war plane fly over you out of nowhere is, um, and you feel the terror that the people there have felt, mm -hmm. uh, and you get a taste of what things are like there. It's very hard to walk away. Like that changes you. Mm -hmm. Um, so in one regard, it's easy to stay, to stay committed because, you know, you've experienced, um, I'm kind of, kind of what, what the, what the issues are. Um, and I also think too, like, you know, I'm friends, I would call really good friends with some of our Sudanese partners. Um, you know, we talk about our families and things going on in our lives. And, and so there's a personal connection there too. Um, I would say the, the, the difficult thing and probably the obvious thing is that, uh, our work sometimes can be very depressing. You know, we see the worst that humanity can do to itself, um, from time to time. And, you know, it's, it's discouraging to see something to go from somewhere like the schools we support and see all the, the joy in kids faces, you know, the teachers who feel empowered mm -hmm. to go from that to walking into a community that was wiped out, you know, yeah. by the regime. Um, you know, I remember in 2012, we, we walked into a frontline community that the Sudanese government had rolled through a few weeks earlier. And, you know, I remember getting out of the Land Rover and slipping on the ground because there were just so many bullet casings still on the ground. Gosh. And so going from somewhere like the schools to somewhere like that is, mm -hmm. it's very jarring and it can be very discouraging. Um, so I always try to, to remind myself of those, those brighter moments of saying like, you know, these kids, these teachers, these healthcare workers, they're still in this and they see even more bad things than I do. Right. And if they can do it, then, then I can do it too. And it's, it's a good reminder. Um, they're a good Testament to the fact that the way Sudan is today is not necessarily the way it has to be tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, for, for those who don't know how, what kind of stuff do you do here stateside to raise money, um, raise awareness? What kind of stuff do y'all do? Yeah. So, I mean, there is a big visual component to our work. So we have like a, 
ton of, and you've seen some of these, mm -hmm. we have a ton of videos and photos online that just tell the story mm -hmm. of, of Sudan and, and some of the people who live there. Um, so we do a lot of, I guess you would call awareness raising work. Um, but I think what makes us really unique in, in that we don't just put out videos and photos to educate people. Like we tie each photo and each video to a program in Sudan and say, hey, if this really resonated with you, it's very easy to get involved yeah. <laughs> with some of the people you're seeing in this video, right? Um, and so, you know, kind of a, a, a few ways people can can get involved is, you know, we do have annual events. So we have Soiree for Sudan, which is our gala. Uh, that'll be in September this year. Um, and then end of October, we have our annual 5K. Those are both great events to show up at and um, it helps us raise some money for the programs, but you also get to meet some of our, some of our other supporters. Um, and, uh, you know, the, the two other ways, you know, people can really get involved is, uh, monthly recurring giving is very, very big for us. Um, you know, we have some, some donors who have been giving monthly for like nine or 10 years now. Um, and because we are one of the only organizations in the world working in the way we do in Sudan, monthly giving that consistent flow of support to our Sunnis partners is very important. Mm -hmm. Um, so, you know, if people want to, to learn more about how to do that or, or to start an online fundraising page or some other ways to get involved, um, uh, our website, obsilence.org is, is the best way to find this. Awesome. And then, um, any other ways I know you are on social media as well. What are, what are ways can folks, um, follow along and, and hear some of those stories? Yeah. Um, Insta because we are like a very visual nonprofit, Instagram's a, a great, yeah. <laughs> a great place yeah. to, to engage with us. We're, uh, at OB silence there. Um, you can also search for us on Facebook and LinkedIn and, and Twitter where just search operation broken silence and, and we'll come up. Yeah. Anything else you want to share? Uh, you know, I, I just wanted to say thank you to fellowship. Um, you know, the past few years have been difficult, I think for a lot of people for all kinds of reasons. Um, but, you know, us in the nonprofit sector, it's been really hard for us too. Um, and you know, we're, we're living in a time where coming out of COVID and the war in Ukraine and there's just so much going on in the world and it's been harder than usual to get to shine a spotlight on what we're doing in Sudan and, and some of the issues there. Um, and so, you know, this gift from the engage fund has really, we had a bit of a fundraising gap last year, mostly cause the war in Ukraine yeah. just kind of ate up everything. Right. Which, which is understandable. I get it. <laughs> um, but it, it also creates some fundraising headwinds for us. And so, so this gift, um, from the engage fund, helped us make up a big part of that, that gap that we saw last year. Um, so, you know, on behalf of our Sudanese partners, I just want to, want to say thank you to fellowship for, for helping, for helping us, you know, keep plugging along. <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you, Mark. I appreciate you, man. Um, like you said, if you want to know more, head out to obsilence.org and, uh, appreciate y'all. See you later. Thanks.